0: Hello and welcome to Epic Nitpick.
1: Every week we choose one piece of pop culture and offer our highly uncredentialed take. This week we will be reviewing Blade Runner 2049. I am
0: Andy and I am joined as always by the rule-breaking moth of a man. Paul Steller, Paul, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, Andy. Loved this movie. Saw it a couple days ago. Very excited to talk about it. I, I you, This is one of probably the only movies in existence that I saw before you by a few hours. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to dig in. So welcome to Epic Nitpick. We're going to tear apart one film today although i guess today we're probably just going to be heaping a lot of praise on top of this film if (laughs) if your tone is any indication paul yep yes it is yeah so we're gonna be talking about blade runner 2049 and as always we will have a general thought section then we're going to dive into the nitpick where we'll be spoiler full so yeah if you if you haven't seen it yet and if for some reason you have managed to not see a single trailer or poster for this film because those things give away what I think would have been such an amazing reveal mm-hmm. to just witness and, and see without knowing anything. But the the advertising was like, no, we need this. We need everyone to know about this thing that happens very late in the film. Yeah. If you haven't seen any of those things, I would say – I would feel comfortable saying, go out and see that film. I think you'll have a good time. See it on the biggest screen possible (laughs) with the loudest sound possible.
1: Yep. Did you avoid the trailers and posters, Andy?
0: You know, the Blade Runner property is not a precious franchise for me. It's not a precious film for me. It's not... I hadn't seen the original until last week in preparation to see this one. So when it came on in the theater, you know, normally as soon as a trailer comes on and I realize it's something I want to see, I'll like take my glasses off and like either look at my phone if there's no one around me or I'll just kind of close my eyes and like hum a song to myself (laughs) kind of thing. Like just rocking back and forth in my chair. But I saw this come on and I was like, eh, whatever. Like at that point, a lot of people thought this film was going to be horrible. So I was like, who cares? I'm probably not going to see this thing. Or if I do, it's going to be really far down the line. So I did see the trailer and then Eventually, I saw it like once or twice, and then I was like, eh, you know what? Maybe I will see this, so let me stop. And that was months and months and months ago. So I was like, let me stop taking in all these advertisements. But the the major thing that I am referring to had clearly already been spoiled at that point. Yeah. By the advertising campaigns, you wouldn't know that this is some big development that happens. You would think this is something that happens pretty early on in the film. Mm-hmm. So I guess before we really talk about the film, Paul, I do want to ask you. So are you a fan of the original Blade Runner?
1: So like you, Andy, I, I, have, I only saw the original very recently, a couple months ago. So I was very late to the game. I was recommended to see it by a few different people who were like, you need to see this movie. It's one of the best sci-fi movies ever made. So I went into it with very, very high expectations. And it didn't like live up to the super-duper high expectations that were set for me. Ooh. I thought that it was good. I did not think that it was the best movie ever. I was kind of disappointed with what I thought was a kind of anticlimactic ending. I know like that's kind of like the point of part of it. It was to leave it like a little ambiguous, but it, it to me it felt like tension was being built up and then the movie just ended. And it's like there was no release of the tension. The tension just ended and then that's it. So I was a little disappointed by it. I loved the concept. The idea is great. Not that that was original to the people making the movie, but it was a great idea. I thought that it was not the best movie that I've ever seen. I think that's an unpopular opinion that I have, but (laughs) I don't know. What did you think?
0: Yeah, I think that neither of us benefit from seeing it when it came out, and it, it is, by all accounts, quite groundbreaking for what it did. It really set the tone, set the pace, set a lot of the cliches that films of this genre would play off of for you know decades to come. And so I think mm-hmm. that for those of us that, that didn't see it when it came out and then have been seeing all the films that were influenced by it since then that have perhaps done things better or even even just like technically more proficient – it's It's harder to be as impressed by it, but I still thought it was a really interesting, ambitious film that I'm glad I saw. I thought that Rutger Hauer, fantastic, fantastic villain in that film. Oh, yeah. Very, and very I, good. Like I do think – I don't know if I agree with you, Paul, that it wasn't a release of the tension. I guess you're referring to the fact that it it ends and then – you kind of don't know what happens to Harrison Ford, uh, to Deckard and to Rachel, because I thought that that final confrontation between Deckard and Roy Batty, great name for a bad guy. uh, was (laughs) I thought it was, that was like, that's like a replay of nightmares that I have. I have nightmares where I'm like being chased through a house and they're like busting through walls and you're climbing on the roof and like all that stuff. I thought that was so brilliantly realized. And then how it ended was to me unexpected. His you know famous final lines and all that stuff. I I didn't love that. Basically, Harrison Ford is just kind of bumbling his way through this this storyline. But overall, I, I I thought it was a, a solid film, and I was definitely curious to see what Danny Villeneuve was gonna do with this film. And mm-hmm. I am I am personally a big fan of all of Denis Villeneuve's films. I love prisoners it's one of my favorite films the year that it came out i thought arrival sicario all have been great enemy enemy like none of his films have come out and i've seen it and been like eh, whatever man like it either (laughs) made me think or i just thought it was fantastic everything looks great i love the tone of his film so i was definitely really curious to see what he was going to do with this franchise and after having seen alien covenant i was like thank god someone else is doing this other than ridley scott
1: (laughs) shots fired shots
0: fired i mean shots fired in that first episode paul (laughs) (laughs) that's true yeah so i I guess with that said uh people have been given ample warning (laughs) as to a a major spoiler so we're gonna allude to that now since it is in the advertising campaigns, but uh, let's talk about Blade Runner 2049. According to IMDb, the plot synopsis is a young Blade Runner's discovery of a long-buried secret leads him on a quest to track down former Blade Runner Rick Deckard, who's been missing for 30 years, which I feel like is a pretty suitable, suitably vague plot synopsis for the most part.
1: Andy, I I know we're not in spoilers yet. I, I don't think that this is an accurate Description of the movie. Um, but I guess I'll save my opinions on that until the spoiler section. <laughs>
0: yes. And so this film, of course, stars people like Ryan Gosling, Robin Wright, Jared Leto, Anna de Armas, and Sylvia Hoax, and much more. And it's actually populated by a lot of character actors that I loved. And it was like, it was really nice to see some of them popping up. Uh, David Dasmalchin, who is a, a regular for Denny Villeneuve and uh, Lenny James from Walking Dead, and Barkhad Abdi. So it it was cool to see this universe populated by some familiar faces, and uh, I definitely enjoyed that. So, Paul, Mm -hmm. let's get your overall thoughts on... I I know we've spilled the beans already, but let's (laughs) get your overall thoughts, expand on that. How did you feel about Blade Runner 2049?
1: I loved this movie so much. I think it is one of the best movie experiences that I've had in a while. I do not see as many movies as Andy, but this is, this is one of the best movies I've seen in the while in theaters and just in general, the, the audio and the, the visuals alone were just absolutely stunning. I can't think of another movie where I've felt so engaged by like the, the cinematography of it and the, the use of, I I, I loved that it, it kind of went back to these eighties synth it's kind of soundtracky vibes and then and then, of course, not of course, but and then they were just parts that were dead silent, and that was that was as effective as these super loud moments as well so the the audios and the visuals were I thought they were mind blowing um they absolutely made the movie for me beyond the fact that it it was a plot that I felt invested in and and I don't think it did this. To the extent that some a movie like Mad Max Fury Road, which is one of my other favorite movies, I don't think it did this to the extent of Mad Max, but I felt like unlike so many action movies out now, every superhero movie, and this is what I feel like a lot of people thought Blade Runner was going to do, it, it didn't seem like it had a lot of excess fluff to it. It felt very meticulously put together, and this piece is going to go here, and I know, the, and and the director or the editor, whoever's doing it, it's like, this piece is going here for a reason. This piece is going here for a reason. It didn't feel like there was a lot of fluff. There was none of these extra, you know, extra plot lines that, that don't pay off or that don't really have any relevance to the story that kind of plague a lot of these newer action movies. Everything, to me, felt like it was there for a reason. And, and I I appreciate that.
0: Paul, I'm so surprised to hear you say that a movie that is nearly three hours long has no fluff <laughs> when you are known for hating anything that's over 45 minutes long.
1: I, I will say, at the, towards the end of the movie, I kept being like, oh, the movie's ending now. And then it would go to the next scene and be like, oh, the movie's ending now. It was like a... Like, <laughs> It didn't do this, but it was. I felt like when I was watching the last Lord of the Rings, when in that movie, when it just keeps fading out, and you're like, "Oh, the movie's over," and then it fades back in, and it does that three or four times. This movie didn't do the fade outs, but it did have parts where I was like, "Oh, this is this is it. This is the end of the movie." And then I was getting up from my seat, and there's like, "Nope, there's another scene." Okay, but uh, it did get a, it felt very long, and then I got out and I looked at my <laughs> my phone, and I was like, "Oh my god, that that, that was long," but. Worth it. I think absolutely worth it.
0: All right, Paul. That is such a glowing review from you. It's, <laughs> it's, what about you, Andy? Uh, I, I definitely really enjoyed the experience. I think that it is rich with this amazing visual tapestry that is, as you said, so meticulously put together. Uh, the cinematography, incredible. I believe it was Roger Deakin, so no surprise there. The score, I, I like the score a lot there was times when it felt like a little too intrusive for my taste but is also i was in a very loud movie theater which i prefer a loud theater to a soft theater so i can't really complain there um i thought everyone for the most part was super well cast the only person that i take issue with in the casting was jared leto and i think some of that uh, maybe most of that has to do with things outside of his actual performance but knowing his history with being an an abusive guy and for assaulting people and all of these things, it was like hard to separate that when watching it. And there is a scene in the trailer where a replicant is sort of birthed out of this plastic bag and he's rubbing his hands all over her. Uh, And that just like, that was like too creepy for me to see that. Yeah. Like it was just, it, it almost felt like irresponsible of the film, the filmmakers, whoever like, whoever's in charge of all of these things, to like put a woman in that situation. Like, I know she's acting, but just like she felt so terrified in that moment, and it, it was like a very disturbing thing to see on the screen. Um, but I also yeah. felt like his performance was like a little over the top. And if I'm being honest, I think everything involving him was the fluff that could have been cut out of this film.
1: Yeah, I can, I can, uh, I can see that.
0: I felt like I. I f- I guess we'll we'll talk more about his role in spoilers. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, honestly, it's it's hard to really talk about this film without talking about some of the central plot points. So unless you have anything else to say, any other praise to heap upon this film, I say we move <laughs> into the nitpick as soon as possible. Let's do it. All right. So spoilers for uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine starting right now. So, Paul, you, you you were saying that there's, like, no plot threads that aren't tied up and everything had its place. I kind of really didn't feel like Jared Leto, this creator character, like, really needed to be in this film at all. And that is – and the way that his plot line resolves, which is that it doesn't, like, he just he's just gone, makes me feel like they're setting up for a sequel where he will play a larger role because he was really only a film – for two scenes, I think maybe three at the most.
1: He definitely. Yeah. I, now that you say that and I think about it more, I do agree. And, and I also 100% agree that while the movie itself and I, I sincerely hope they don't make another one. I think that it, I loved the way that it ended. Um, and, and I loved the way that things did the things that did tie up. I loved how they tied up, but, but, there were definitely moments, and, and I kind of referenced this before, there were moments where I was like, oh, the movie's over because they're setting up a, a sequel. Like when, um, when the replicants are talking about the rebellion that they're going to lead and they're like, we need to all be like our own heroes and blah, blah, blah. We need to lead the rebellion. I was like, oh, okay, this, the movie's about to end <laughs> and they're just setting up for this. They're setting up for one, the rebellion, and two, rescuing Deckard. Like, I th- I thought that that's where the movie ended. And then when they were like, okay, here we go to rescue him, I was like, what? They're going to conclude this storyline? This-, this movie is so long.
0: Yeah. You know, how how did that, the sort of like rebel alliance repl- replicants, how did that storyline work for you? Do you think that added to the film?
1: I do think that 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 storyline was possibly just there to be like, well, if this movie does good, now we have something to make another movie about.
0: Yeah, I think so because it their their plot line felt so underexplored. And 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 kind of when they sort of it kind of felt like they came out of nowhere towards the end. Like I know they had been dropped in a little bit here and there, but when that sort of thing came in at the end I was like, Oh, really? Like this we're doing this now? Like the the Underground Rebel Alliance thing, I feel like that's just been done to death in these like dystopian Future movies, and it it to me it didn't add much to the film.
1: I will say though, one a, a twist, I guess you could say that I did not see coming was the fact that Ryan Gosling was not the the son that they are all looking for. I thought for sure that he was going to be that that was his role, and I think in in all these other typical action movies he would have been that character because I was thinking to myself I was like oh this is so this is kind of predictable like he's that character and they they roll with that for a very long time they roll with that through him meeting Deckard and then it's not until after that 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 reveal happens and I love that the reveal happens so late because at that point at least for me I've already accepted that that's what his character is and I've like I've become attached to that idea. And I feel the emotions that he's having when he's in the room with Deckard. And, and, and I, I, like, I understand the things he's feeling. And then to have that taken away from him, it was like, Oh, that was a, like, that was a good, that was a good twist.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I feel like everyone in the audience was like a million steps ahead of what they thought that sort of reveal was going to be. I certainly was. And I was like disappointed at how, predictable it seemed that we, mm-hmm. I was like now we're just kind of going through the motions waiting for him to discover the thing he's oh, he's gonna go find the horse and all this stuff and then to, for the reveal to be that he realizes the story isn't about him that he's just this sort of like side character helping this greater purpose be fulfilled uh I thought that 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 was pretty brilliant I did like that plot twist but I, I mean so To back it up just a little bit, though, imagine if you went into this film and you had no idea that Harrison Ford was in this film.
1: That would have been I would have felt like even as someone who's not like we were saying, not super tied to the original movie. That would have felt so good when that reveal happened. I would have I would have just had the biggest smile on my face when he when he came out. But like this is why I was saying in the IMDb it references that part. It says about Ryan Gosling's character having to track down Harrison Ford's character. That's not what he's planning to do until the last like fifth of the movie. Yeah. Like he's, he's not planning to do that for a very long part of the movie. He goes through a lot of other discoveries. So for them to include that in the IMDb, I feel like it's a, it's like a clear kind of, come see this Harrison Ford movie. Come see this movie that has Harrison Ford in it. Like they, they really, instead of taking the direction that I think they should have taken, which is like you said, keeping it a secret, not having it in the trailers, not having it in the posters. They did the exact opposite, which is okay. Having Harrison Ford in this movie is going to attract people to this movie. So we're just going to plaster the fact that he's in this movie everywhere. But I definitely don't think that that is the, that was the intention of the movie.
0: Yes. No, you're you're definitely right on that. I think that they were like, "Oh shit, we have 150 million dollars into this project and we need to do everything we can to get people in the seats because they associate Blade Runner with Harrison Ford." So I yeah, it's it felt purely a marketing decision. I mean, obviously he's such a big name. Didn't turn out too well for them. Opened uh, I believe it got 31 million opening weekend in the US which is, that's got a sting, but also it is a three-hour-long movie, so it's not like the casual, I'm just going to go bluff an hour and a half and laugh with my friends kind of crowd is going to go to that thing. Uh, it, it It wasn't some big blockbuster when it opened, the original opened, you know? Like, it's become this cult classic, but it's still not, it's not like a Jurassic Park or an Independence Day or something like that that just raked in tons of dough when it first opened. It's something that grew over time, so... So I understand why they would make that decision, but yeah, it was definitely, to me, it was such a huge disappointment to know that he was, he was going to be in the film. And also I felt knowing that he was going to be in the film and then having him come into it so late in the game, what, like at least halfway, if not two thirds of the way through the film, Mm -hmm. the whole time I was sitting there going, when's Harrison Ford going to show up, (laughs) you know, like, like, it was just kind of (laughs) like. man, we like really haven't even started this thing yet. Cause one of the major stars isn't here yet. Yeah. And so it was, it was distracting it, as, as great as Ryan Gosling is. It was distracting. Cause it was kind of like, we know s- there's something big is coming with Harrison Ford and there's going to be a different plot going on or something is going to be different than what we're currently being fed by the filmmakers. So yeah, it, you know, I could go on forever about how I think that trailers often ruin ruin movie going experiences, but yeah, that was that was definitely a bummer. Uh, let's let's talk about some of the things that we loved about this film. Uh,
1: you know what I loved, Andy? What's that, Paul? Batista in the beginning of the movie. <laughs>
0: I thought he was great. I'm so glad that he's getting these like <laughs> he's now getting a weighty like dramatic role. Like I know he it was like he had. Tons of dialogue. But he just works so well as this grizzled old guy with these tiny wireframe glasses and <laughs> Tiny tiny glasses. It just uh, it just worked so well. Um apparently there it, is some some uh like shorter films that kind of fill in the gaps between the the original and twenty forty nine. And from mm-hmm. the a clip that I saw, he is in one of those. So I have to I think after this we're definitely gonna have to go watch those short films mm-hmm. and get some more Batista. But yeah, I thought I I thought that opening scene wasn't as dramatic or suspenseful as it could have been, but it it worked well. It set the tone, and then I just thought that the the fight between the two of them was fantastic.
1: Mm-hmm. And and I I appreciate that Batista, like unlike Guardians of the Galaxy, where he's this just hulking muscle of of, of human, like he looked more proportional. And like he looked more realistic as it's like this is a large intimidating man, not this is a monster that Ryan Gosling is going to have to fight.
0: Yeah. And if I remember correctly, there's sort of was um, a line early on that was talking about some generation of the replicants were made to be stronger, but that made them more dangerous or something. So I sort of took that to be like, oh, he is that model of replicate. And that's why he is such a muscular beast of a man.
1: Yeah yeah but he wasn't like Arnold Schwarzenegger unrealistic, you know <sighs> he was still pretty big, Paul,
0: <laughs> but he did I'm gonna watch it again he did let his hair grow out, and you can see that he's kind of balding and graying a little bit <laughs> like he he was willing to not be this like incredibly flattering version of himself, which I mm-hmm. thought was really cool, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought this film had so many moments where I was just like, I have never seen that before or I've never seen that done in that way before. Um, One of the things that really stood out for me was that scene with Joy, who is uh, Ryan Gosling's, like, holographic housewife. And she brings in the replicant to, like, act as her physical surrogate for them to actually Mm -hmm. have sex together. And just how they pulled that off visually was (laughs) mind-blowing.
1: That scene was – like you said, that scene – like I've never seen anything like that before. It looked it looked so cool, and and I think it like that scene went on for a long time as well. But I think it was totally worth it. Just visually, it looked
0: amazing. Paul, most of the scenes went on for a long time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you, you, Andy, you know what? Another thing, actually, that I just thought of that that didn't really pay off too much. I, it pains me to say this, but that didn't pay off too much. The when when Ryan Gosling first lands in that kind of radioactive wasteland, uh, when he's looking for the orphanage, and then there's all those there's those people there that inhabit that place that just start attacking him all of a sudden, and then they get blown up, and then they just never really come back again or are never referenced ever again. Yeah, they they kind of like have introduced this this group of people and then quickly just never reference them ever again. Yeah. I think I bet you that there was there was stuff filmed for that that got cut out that kind of explained more of that society, because as the film stands, it's kind of like all these people attack him. They all get blown up. And then he just goes to this this place, this orphanage where there's, you know, like one adult or like a handful <laughs> of adults and then just a bunch of kids. And, and it's it's almost like the, I, I felt like the movie was saying, hey, just you know, there's a society here. We we don't have enough time to explain what this society is and how it functions, but just, you know, throw us a bone on this one.
0: Yeah, I thought that that orphanage scene was done very well. There was a lot of subtle touches. I thought the way Lenny James played the the Finnegan, you know, like the head of the orphanage kind of guy, I mm-hmm. thought that was so great. And just like the subtle, subtle touches where like one of the kids dropped whatever he was working on. And like, you can tell that this kid is used to to, to getting severe punishment for that. But because, yeah. you know, Agent K is there and Lenny James's character is, thinks he's there to, like, get a kid, he's actually nice to the child. And just, like, little touches like that throughout the whole yeah. film just works so well. Um, some of my other favorite scenes I loved uh, – I'm forgetting her name now, both the, the actress and the, the name of the character, but, like, the Memory Maker – uh, oh yeah, Harrison Ford's daughter. As it turns out, um, mm-hmm. just that scene when you see her creating a memory with her yeah. her controller, like that was such an original, just like mm-hmm. oh, such an interesting visual- visualization of how that would come about. Um, and then I guess the last scene that I'll mention that I thought was really cool was the fight scene with like the Elvis hologram and like the lights and the music and everything's out Mm -hmm. of sync and coming off and on. And I don't think there's any reason why those things would be coming off and on. Like is the system restarting itself, whatever, but it certainly made for a really interesting backdrop for a fight to happen.
1: And if I, if I remember correctly, it was, it was complete silence. And there's all this tension building up and then there'd be this super loud like blast of Elvis or like any of the other the other dancers or the other people that were in there. And then it would cut out or then it would like crackle and then cut out and then silence. And that scene and I know I feel like you didn't you weren't as into this scene because it was cliche and predictable. But when uh, Ryan Gosling found the 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 wooden horse, even though that scene was you know, you you knew what was coming and what was coming did actually happen, although it did then plot twist on you when you found out that he wasn't actually the person who originally put it there. But during that scene, it just went on for so long and it was like so tense. And there were these scenes that that had this horror movie vibe to it. That was one of the scenes for me. Another one was when his ship does get shot down in that wasteland area right before those people get blown up, but his ship gets shot down. He crashes and joy is like, like, cause he's knocked unconscious and she's like, wake up, wake up. But her video keeps like clipping out and she's like clipping in and out of the, the, uh, the ship. And it just, it felt like a horror movie to me. I was like, this is creepy. This is, very very creepy and and i enjoyed that i enjoyed having that like that tension and that creepiness and uh, i enjoyed that feeling and this is coming from someone who does not like horror movies or tension
0: <laughs> <laughs> it 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 felt very black mirror-esque to me everything involving joy pretty much um which leads me to ask you paul did did joy work for you do you think joy was a good addition to this film
1: I think that, I think that she was, I I think that, I don't know how else it would have happened, but when she gets destroyed at the end, when, when she gets destroyed at the end by love, it's, it, it happened very quickly for me, like in a movie where everything is very long and drawn out, it's kind of like love just kind of walks over and steps on the thing and, and that was it.
0: Which makes it, to me, makes it very jarring. You're like, oh, we don't get some big prolonged goodbye with this character. Yeah. But I don't, I, I I never really felt the emotional stakes of of Joy being in the film. Like, I, I think that that romance didn't work the way the film wanted it to. Like, like, her thing got stomped out and I was just like, okay, I guess that sucks. Like, I, I didn't feel like great loss for Ryan Gosling. Okay. In that moment. And and so, I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of it kind of points to the fact that the film doesn't necessarily have the best representation for the female characters in the film. And, you know, joy is essentially, she's just like this, like male fantasy, like wish fulfillment type piece of technology in the film. Yeah. And, you know, she is then later shown as this giant version of herself and she's naked and like really put on display. And I don't know, it just felt like she was disposable. Like like I'm sure that whatever their technology is, they develop a rapport over time. So it's not like he could just go out and buy the joy that he knows and loves currently. Mm-hmm. But at the same time it's like you could get something that's like really close and you could get back to that place with her. You know, I don't know. It's it just it just didn't didn't have the oomph that I think that that character was supposed to have, despite the fact that she was visually represented in such an interesting way. That sort of like opaque uh, or the um, translucent nature where like a little bit of light will come through and how she can change her outfit and all these things. That was really cool, but it felt like more like, oh, this is an interesting visual thing we can do more so than have a character that is interesting and, and has... Like a plot arc that pays off.
1: Yeah. I, I feel like <laughs> maybe one of the, the supplementary videos that we didn't watch is just Ryan Gosling's character watching her. And you're like, oh, this is what is <laughs> this is what's <laughs> supposed to be happening right now.
0: <laughs> yes, definitely. Strong echoes of her with the whole joy character. Yeah.
1: I, and I, I do see what you're saying. I, I think I mean, well, did you did you like the movie her Andy?
0: I did. I did. It was actually, I believe, one of my favorite films when it came out. Because
1: I think if they had, if they had the time, they maybe would have built up that kind of relationship or a relationship similar-ish that has echoes to that, where then you would feel the stakes that you feel for Walking Phoenix.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. Definitely. I, I think that there's a number of storylines or plots that could have been expanded to their, their own film in general. Like there could have been the blade runner, the blade run her film (laughs) where they just explore that relationship, which I think would be kind of interesting. It is. I mean, I did like that joy was sort of this, this additional commentary on the themes of the film, which are kind of asking like, what does it mean to be human? And, like, what does it mean to have a, you know, a soul or a sense of self or, like, all of these things? Mm-hmm. And it is kind of interesting how there's, like, this hierarchy built where, you know, the humans look down on the replicants, which is another thing that I they they hit strong in the beginning and then never really came back to it that much. Yeah. This whole the skin job, Skinner, like, that whole, like, they they built it up to be a really hostile world for Ryan Gosling to exist within. But then they never, like, really came back to that. Um, But then the replicants look down on joy or these holograms, whatever whatever their species or technology is called. And so it sort of... It's like one of those things where it's like, oh, if you keep the people divided, you know, fighting amongst themselves on, like, the lower levels of society, they're never going to band together to fight against the Tyrell Corporation or, like, whatever the massive oppressor of the the post-apocalyptic society is. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was kind of an interesting commentary on that. And so the fact that, like, we're supposed to feel that Joy has this meaningful relationship with Ryan Gosling but then, like, the advertisements for the Joy character uh, technology are, like, you know, I'll say whatever you want and I'll be whatever you want kind of thing. Yeah. And so it's, like, we have to I, – I, the movie, I don't think, gives answers to this, which is sort of what this franchise does now. But does she actually love him? Or is she just – before she dies, is that what he wants to hear is that she loves hmm. him kind of thing. Like, are we – are we going to believe that this technology for these holograms are able to develop in the way that some of the replicants did where they moved outside of their programming? Um, I think those are kind of interesting, interesting themes to explore. Yeah. But I also just feel like, you know, the, the original Blade Runner didn't have the best representation for women. And so this kind of felt like it continued that trope, yeah. you know, the women are prostitutes. There are these Wish fulfillment, the the memory maker, she's really infantilized just behind the glass. And, you know, there's plenty of really lengthy articles about this out there. And some of them talk about how, like, even the the quote-unquote, like, strong female characters are still put on display. Their death is given a lot more screen time than, like, when the male characters die or they're, like, portrayed as, like, you know, the the bossy, you know, boss kind of person. Bossy boss. You know, the old bossy boss. (laughs) (laughs) So... So I get that. It's it's like the film was like, oh, we're going to have a wide representation of women, but they're all still not going to – it's not going to be the best representation. They're all just kind of there to aid in Ryan Gosling's journey. Yeah,
1: which doesn't end up being even his journey at the end.
0: Yeah, so let me ask you about the end. Was that a satisfying end for you?
1: In terms of after the reveal or like the very – the end end when he's like lays down The on very the
0: end, although <laughs> I will say about the reveal – like there is a moment in the film where it is revealed, but I didn't get it the moment that it was revealed, and neither did a few people around me. And then there was like a moment like ten minutes later where they kind of hammered it home with like some other line and in my head I went, Oh and then the guy next to me was like out loud, he goes, Oh <laughs> like, you can just tell that everyone everyone around me was like realizing it, you know, because I think it maybe it was the line where where she's like I put a little of myself in all the best memories or whatever it is, you know. And it was kind of like
1: Oh. Yeah. And oh. And then and then the head of the like rebellion says like, "Oh, you thought that you were the you thought that you were the person, didn't you?" Like it's like, "Okay, we need to make sure everyone gets it." And Andy, now that you pointed it out, I you are absolutely right. When the reveal first happens, I was like, "Did that just happened but then they cut to another scene i believe then they i think that's when they cut to the jared leto harrison ford scene and then later Mm -hmm. on they come back and they like you said they hammer that home and it was the same for me where i was like at first i was like wait wait what and then it came back again and i was like okay that is that's what i thought
0: yeah i mean this film is very dense i think it will reward multiple repeat viewings i'm I'm hoping I can go catch it in a theater again. I think that's definitely the way to see it. It's hard because it is such a long time commitment. Yeah, to 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 just uh, just a casual three hours to throw away, (laughs) but it definitely. I feel like there was things that I just like didn't get, and I had to rely on you know like relying on all these like videos. They're like, what actually happened in Blade Runner to like truly understand what was going on Mm -hmm. after the fact. So there's definitely a lot. Uh, a lot going on that will get rewarded by those repeat viewings. But I haven't really seen anyone offer a satisfying answer to this, which is why do we care that Harrison Ford is reunited with his daughter?
1: Hmm. I I, I, if I have to make a guess, I would think because as humans, we, we enjoy seeing those kind of reunion reunions, even if we don't have any stakes in these, in these characters.
0: Yeah, but but like the whole film is about Ryan Gosling's journey. We learn that he is not like the true center point of this whole saga. You know, it's it's kind of like this interesting like fan fiction like you you could have pictured some story that was just about Harrison Ford and his daughter or like Harrison Ford and Rachel, you know, off on their Bonnie and Clyde adventures after the first film ended. Um and then Ryan Gosling just kind of shows up a little bit to help out the guy and instead someone wrote this fanfic about his whole journey and like thinking he's the one and then he's not but basically you know he dies in order for harrison ford to be reunited with his daughter and it i feel like we're supposed to feel some catharsis from that we're supposed to feel like ah he has completed his journey and you know the whole like there's nothing more human than dying for something that matters like all that stuff but i'm like why does it matter what happens now that Harrison Ford has been reunited with his daughter? I, what, like, why are we supposed to care about that? And again, like you were pointing out, Paul, this specific quest didn't come in until like the last third of the movie. Yeah. So it's kind of like, why do we care what what is going to happen? I mean, I think you can, now that they've been reunited. You
1: can, well, I think what's going to happen is, like you said, this comes in at the last <laughs> quarter of the movie. But what's going to happen is now that like now that the rebellion has this this character they can like i don't know it's going to aid the replicant somehow but like you said it's like we don't have that much emotional ties to that but i feel like what we do have the emotional ties to is Ryan Gosling's character kind of figuring himself out and at the end figuring out that like this was you know like this was his contribution this was his his purpose was to was to reunite these these two people or was to to aid in this cause like he figures out that that's his purpose i guess and it's not even it doesn't even matter necessarily what it is it's just that he had one and he did it
0: i disagree with you paul i think it matters greatly what it is (laughs) (laughs) like like i get i do like honestly not that this really would have changed my assessment i was expecting the film to end when he laid down dead
1: yeah, me too. On
0: the stairs, you know. And again, it, it was like a, a nice moment. I did like how they ended it with Harrison Ford like putting his hand up to the glass, and and then it like cuts to black. Like I was like, okay, that's interesting. That's an interesting way to go. But in either way, it still wouldn't have really explained the stakes, no matter how they ended it. But it almost felt like the fact that they included that scene, that little scene at the end, made us feel like it was more important than it. Like it tried to. It was like, it's important because it's important. Like, don't you get it? Like, parents belong with their kids, and that's important. And that's the reason why this replicant has died. But I do do think it's an interesting journey of him sort of being told all his life that he doesn't matter, that he's not important, that he's just a cog in the machine. And then he finally finds a purpose, which is to help Harrison Ford get to his daughter. Like, I, I do find that satisfying, but I feel like it'd be much more satisfying if the stakes were laid out and Harrison Ford gets to his daughter and that means they can shut down Jared Leto's corporation or you know whatever it is we can free all the replicants whatever it is like we don't know what it's gonna be and I'm fine with certain things not being answered but for a main character to die for something that we don't really understand why it's important that he accomplishes this task it felt like sloppy storytelling to me yeah
1: I I guess I I feel like what they were doing cuz you're right like Ryan Gosling is the main character of this movie and they don't end on a scene with him they end on a scene with this other this secondary character that doesn't get introduced till the end of the movie but i feel like they were doing one of those things that you see sometimes at the end of movies where it's like the main character's story concludes it kind of fades out and then you see what fades back in is is like the things how that character has affected other characters and, like, the positive things that are happening because of those other characters. Do you know, like, that that trope that I'm talking about?
0: Oh, the main character dies, and, and it's kind of like the the uh, epilogue of, like, so-and-so went on to graduate from college and do this. But not even that and,
1: cheesy, just, like, showing images of, like, oh, and because of this character's sacrifice, now this world has been saved, and now, like, look at these happy people, or now look at this reunion... Like I, I feel like, but
0: the world hasn't been saved, Paul.
1: No, no, no. I, I was just giving examples of where I've seen that trope before. But well, I, I know, feel like that's again, what they're doing. It's just
0: it's such a low stakes happy ending. <laughs> Can he even get behind that glass? Like, is if he like goes to hug his daughter, is she gonna die from the diseases he's gonna introduce in there? Like,
1: well, wait, 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 Andy. I was under the ins- I was under the assumption that she was told she had those diseases so that she would not leave and that she does not actually, you know what? She doesn't have, those. you know diseases.
0: what Paul that makes a whole lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair because
1: enough. Because if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, she th- thinks that she's human question mark. Cause the whole world is replicants, right? Besides the LAPD. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I guess the question is if if Harrison Ford is a replicant or not. I know most people think that that has been put to bed because of the comments of Ridley Scott, but there's of course plenty of think spe- but there's of course plenty of think pieces out there saying there's still it's still there's still doubt if he's a human or a replicant or not. So, I guess like the question is what's more interesting that Rachel's definitely a replicant. Is it more interesting that she has sex with another replicant and they have a replicant baby, or she has sex with a human and they have this, like, hybrid baby kind of, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Well, I know what
1: you're saying, but But, that... Yep.
0: Well, I I mean, on that note, though, I love that, like, right out the gate, they established that Ryan Gosling is a replicant. Like I felt like it was really playing off the whole is Harrison Ford or isn't he a replicant <laughs> thing, and they're just like right away they're like you're one of them or whatever the the line was. I was like, ah, oh, such a great move. Like they're not going to try and pull the same mystery on us again, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think the whole world is replicants, right? Well, I mean, I think that a lot of people seem like rich people seem to have moved off world, but I. Believe there'd be no reason for them to want to make replicants if there wasn't any actual humans left.
1: That's true, I guess. For some reason I thought, or maybe it was like just Los Angeles or something, I thought that the whole area where the movie takes place, that it was all like replicants.
0: Well, think about the fact that Ryan Gosling, when he's going to his apartment, all these people were giving him shit for being a replicant. You must assume that those people were humans.
1: That's true. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right.
0: That's right, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the other thing that kind of bothered me about the film is that it's sort of everything with Deckard, a- I guess everything with the fact that this child exists, it kind of asks you to to like retcon some things that happen in the original Blade Runner. Like it it's trying to turn this this um relationship between Deckard and Rachel into this amazing big love story that has like propelled us into the narrative of the new one. Mm -hmm. But like, I never really got that kind of a love story from the first one. And as many people have pointed out, it's kind of sexual assault the way that he first, like he, like she denies his advances and he like, closes the door and, like, kind of holds her against her will and kisses her, and, like, yeah, there's sexy sax man playing in the background, <laughs> but it's, like, a pretty disturbing scene to watch. Yeah. And that is, like, the start of this big, you know, big relationship that we're supposed to buy. It's, like, all this love created this child and they have to save the child and all these things. It felt, like, weird. And, and they did try and, like, explain away that, like, well, maybe they were programmed to fall in love and, you know, like, all that stuff. But for some reason... Again, I loved the film, but I felt like that was kind of like a cheap way for them to navigate around that fact that it wasn't like really this big love story from the original.
1: I feel you. I feel you. And maybe that that is a point against my comparison uh, to of this movie to Mad Max Fury Road, because that movie, I think, did not did made no attempt to have it did not feel the need to have to establish a romantic relationship between any characters which I appreciate definitely. about it, uh, yeah. in this movie. Like you were saying, it, it definitely, in that case, yes, it did. Well, in, in other cases too, but in that instance, it did. Uh, <laughs> you're right. They felt that they had to kind of establish that this that was this big love story. You're right, Andy.
0: Uh, speaking of Rachel, uh, when they brought out young Rachel, with that scene with Harrison Ford and uh, Jared Leto,
1: is that some Princess Leia CGI?
0: Yes. <laughs> did you realize that? I did
1: not, well, I saw it and I was like, Huh. They either got someone that looks very, very similar to her or they're they have CGI, and if it's CGI, I cannot tell that it's CGI.
0: <laughs> when she first came out, I was like, that can't she can't be real, but how? Yeah. You know, like I know they've done like digital aging on people like Jeff Bridges and Tron and uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man, or whatever, but but I, like it took several shots of intensely staring at her to to pick up on the cues that she was digitally created. Yeah. I don't know if they put digital makeup on someone or they just totally fabricated her, but I was I was blown away at how realistic she looked, and it, it definitely like played to the themes of the film. Like, was it mean to be human? Like watching this this actress like. I would not question it at all if I hadn't just watched the original and just seen exactly what she looks like and know that Harrison Ford's in this and he looks a lot older and Edward James almost is in this and he looks a hell of a <laughs> lot older and there you know like if I didn't know that if she was just if I was just supposed to believe she was a random person that was brought in and not someone that I had already seen on screen recently I I don't think I would have picked up that she wasn't real.
1: I feel like <laughs> I feel like now that they have that technology after after Star Wars did it, now that they have that technology, they're like, OK, we need to make sequels of movies solely so that we could <laughs> use that technology <laughs> to make people go, wow, it's that person. And they look exactly the same.
0: Yeah, it does make me a little scared about what the ethics of doing that is going to be moving forward.
1: Andy Circus is just going to take over everyone's job.
0: <laughs> Andy Circus as Tom Cruise.
1: <laughs> but. I actually loved that that whole scene with Jared Leto and Harrison Ford. Um, I thought that the lighting was really cool in that scene. It just kept going back and forth between complete shadows and then like partial lighting. And they were on this weird like platform on water I don't know. I I loved the whole design and lighting of that scene.
0: Yeah, the the, the art design for this film was phenomenal hands down.
1: And when oh, you know one of my favorite my favorite transitions to scenes was was when after Ryan Gosling gets knocked out and Harrison Ford gets kidnapped and he gets rescued and he kind of wakes up out of consciousness and there's that the fire like there's like a fire next to him and then like the embers of the fire go into the air and the camera follows the embers and then the embers like turn into the cityscape of the of Los Angeles.
0: I must have missed that shot oh, somehow. It
1: was, it was, it was cool. It was like the embers float up and they start like fizzling out, but then all the lights that are still there from the embers, the, sh- cause it's all black besides that the, the city fades in behind it and the lights from the embers are like the lights in the city.
0: That's so cool. Yeah. I must've been paying for my Buffalo cauliflower poppers at that point. Cause <laughs> I was viewing this at the Alamo draft house. Um, Yeah. Well, I don't think I this have any... This any... episode sponsored
1: by the Alamo Draft House.
0: God, I, I wish. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I don't think I have anything else to say. Do you have any other final thoughts on this film, Paul? If the,
1: If you are listening to this and somehow the movie is still in theaters, go see it in theaters.
0: Yeah, I don't know how long it's going to last given how poorly it's done at the box office. It's now been out for a few weeks, I think. So I was actually surprised that I was able to find it at a nice big screen, but... Yeah, definitely go see this. Send us an email. Let us know what you think. Tell us why we're wrong. Give us your theories about what's going on in this film. Epicnitpick at gmail.com.
1: All right, Andy. Until next time, let's consider this nitpicked.